This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I am delighted to announce that today's episode is brought to you by Somiga. Somiga is an Irish-based nutrition company that is headed up and led by a team of nutritionists and food scientists. At Somiga, the mantra is better nutrition, better health, and their key goal with their supplements is to create a range that has maximum bioavailability and absorption. This Omega range is quite broad. They have vitamin D, omega-3s, antioxidants, you name it. If you want to check out their range, you can head over to gosomega.com. So that's www.gosomega.com. And if you want a 10% discount, you can use SENUT10 for 10% off. Kieran Burke, welcome back to another episode of the Fuel Better podcast. I figured I wanted you again as my first guest for season three because your episode is actually really popular and a lot of people found it interesting, insightful. I think you actually got a lot of inquiries about it, helped a lot of people off the back of it. Yeah, thanks very much, Emma. Cheers. Uh, it's great to be back. Uh, in, enjoyed last uh, last podcast that we did. I was uh, slightly. Uh, Nervous, I'd say, is the first one I did, but I was uh, delighted going away with it. And yeah, I did. I got a got a load of um, inquiries in relation to it. Just uh, people people jumping on the phone trying to trying to figure it out. It it obviously opened up people's minds in mm-hmm. relation to how they would uh, go about their training, or that there's multiple options to go about their training, mm-hmm. and it's not just maybe pigeonholed as some people traditionally might think. It's not just grind it and just grit your teeth. Exactly, yeah. So I know we just kind of got on a tangent there immediately. <laughs> I should probably introduce you for people who are new listeners because there's actually been quite an uptake in listenership, which thank you very much, by the way. It's great. It's really weird to think that people listen to this as I normally record this in my sitting room. I'm here in my office now, my clinic in Tom with Kieran as we talk, but it's just the two of us. There isn't the... 500 to 1000 listeners that we normally get sitting here watching us so it is weird to think about that people are going to listen anyways kieran burke and i go back an awful long time kieran is predominantly known as the perform lab on instagram he is pretty spicy when it comes to snc and all things sports science 
and strength and conditioning rehabilitation you name it he's the guy he's actually our in-house sports science and snc man as well so that's the context we're going to talk about some sports science today this is kind of just off the back of the dublin marathon where people had good days not so good days terrible days if you had a terrible day and it had nothing to do with um, toilet problems you should probably listen in or if you're looking at doing an event in 2024 you might find some nuggets of information here but kieran just to go back to the point marathon training endurance training anything performance related it really shouldn't be about grit your teeth and work as hard as you can what what what's your take on that yeah so it, it, it's often it's often very common to go as much as possible and it, and it, it sort of throws as much as on the wall as you can until something sticks but that can be very that can lead to injury it can be very time consuming and um, you know you can be really efficient with your time if you I guess that's where I sort of niched off into the performing lab uh, a couple of years ago where I realised that there was an opportunity to, to help people so segue in from strength and conditioning went to the perform lab and there's far more stuff that people are unaware of that you know big bang for your buck type of things mm. and they're often very low hanging fruit and extremely low hanging fruit um, in relation to you know how they train what they need to do and you know four or five key things always come up consistently between sort of zoning being able to train within those zones consistency um, and just sticking with it for a while because guys if it's not working and you know you haven't say you talk about Dublin City Martin you haven't got a your PB or your you might get a small bit better and you're just you're disappointed or whatever that looks like you know things obviously that you have done aren't working mm. so if you come to someone like myself in relation to getting tested and you're like oh god I couldn't do that I always ask people for a buy-in of you know 12 weeks just stick with it for 12 weeks it's not going to get you any worse because you haven't gotten better in the first place yeah yeah 100% look I'm, I'm just curious I think I know the answer to this I think the answer is people who just run as fast as they can four times a week what is the biggest thing people get wrong when they're training for endurance sports yeah so we're, we're sort of anecdotally seeing all the people come in through uh, through our doors it, it is it's sort of um, uh, let's sweat let's feel like we've done something um, sort of you know that sadistic feeling and uh, oh yeah I, I'm after doing something it's good I feel wrecked mm. I need to sit down on the couch and uh, I need to go to sleep because I'm absolutely shattered but like if, if, if you look at it so we often take we often take uh, vision from elite elite athletes and we, we try and work backwards now while a lot of stuff some stuff you you can't implement in uh, in general population but a lot of it, a lot of nuggets you can sort of take from that a lot of those athletes are are training at very low intensities yeah yeah like extremely low intensities and you, you'd be very surprised your low intensity as a as a non-elite athlete is probably far quicker if we're looking at running or cycling than an elite athlete's low intensity is yeah i've heard um <clears throat> just through various sources that when elliot kipchoge does like really slow runs like he could be pissing around at six or seven minute kilometers at yeah. times and i suppose maybe to people who are not super into marathon running i'm sure most have heard of jakob ingerbritz and 
he's actually on record saying why do people train so hard it's it's insane that's not a direct quote but i think it stands to that idea that it's not balls to the wall all the time like you're not you can't approach endurance sports like crossfit because it's a totally different energy system yeah it, it is and, and like if you if you if you are looking at you know horses for horses where if you're looking at crossfit a lot of that stuff is short and sharp and it's very anaerobic um, but if you got them to do something longer they would usually fall away to nothing so there's one or two like long events traditionally that were in the, the crossfit games i think they they rode a marathon before people were getting off and they were wrecked you know mm. they, they'd rather they'd rather accumulate the same load in 20 minutes than they would over two and a half hours or whatever it took them you know they'd actually they'd recover better um but yeah like you know you, you have all this sort of uh swedish swiss sort of norwegian type of training that's coming out now and a lot of those guys are you know say call it aerobic and anaerobic that people traditionally know of they're actually training on the low end of that mm. so when they say yeah i'm training anaerobically you know you might you and i know that we have athletes that would turn around and you know if their zone for anaerobic was between 160 and 170 they'd be happy training at 172 <laughs> okay so they'd be happy training at the end of it at, at the high end of it but all these elite athletes are actually training at the low end of it and there's two things for that there's number one you're getting the same very similar adaptation you know you're you'd be splitting hairs mm. if you if you said there was any real difference and number two you're not hitting the ground as much or putting as much stress in your body so you so you're less likely to be injured and a sidetrack for that is you can recover better from it so you can actually reproduce that session at the lower um the lower rung of that window or that zone um and you can repeat it far quicker and multiply and that consistency that we're talking about that program your program your overall program that you can keep on doubling up on things so you're not breaking down so you can keep on producing and training and you're also um you're sorry you're also not uh, you're, you're not breaking down and you're also uh, being able to double up on those sessions really interesting like i know I suppose from my past as an athlete, a former athlete, whatnot, and just I'm interested in sports science. For people who might not know, or may, maybe they don't have that buy-in as to why should they run slow, I'm going to give my non-sports scientist summary and then you can polish it up. Low intensity training or those, those aerobic zones are there to enhance mitochondrial function in terms of quantity and size improve capillarization and i'm sure there's some other aerobic or cardiorespiratory adaptive responses that ultimately make you a more efficient runner is that about the bones of it yeah well yeah 100 percent it is so you have you, you hit on two big ones so your, your mitochondria and your capillaries so your mitochondria is your powerhouse and your capillaries are like the uh, the end of uh your vessels where it transfers the oxygen uh, into your muscles, which is energy, and mm -hmm. then offloads that waste, which is carbon. So they're two massive things. So you're looking at improving the function and the density of them, of both of them. So you can, they're trainable qualities, and they're trainable qualities that like are huge impact and carry over to your performance on race day. Um, and then there's, there's, there's a sort of another one comes, two, two others come to mind is your, your hemoglobin mass, 
you mm-hmm. you increase the volume of that, and then you also increase the uh, the left ventricular um, sort of output, mm-hmm. which is your 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 pumping mechanism for from your heart that throws all the all the blood with the oxygen, which gives you energy around your body. Fun side note, but when when I would have been competing at a high level, it was advised. It was like, look, if you're ever taken into hospital, you need to tell them you're a high level athlete so that they don't diagnose you with cardiomyopathy because of that left ventricular hypertrophy. That shouldn't be there in someone who's not doing loads of low intensity aerobic work. Yeah, no, it it, it, gener- it generally isn't. So like it, your your quote on like doing low intensity training is 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 really important. Those points that we, we brought out are also important. And I actually got I I recently got a fella who came into me fifteen, maybe twenty weeks ago and um he, he did the Dublin City Marathon. Okay. And um just to this very point. Mm-hmm. And he him, him he was there and uh went up on the on the treadmill, he was a runner and he did the session. Looked at his report, his VO two match report and uh I sort of said, look, you're, you're training at really high intensity, aren't you? And he went, uh, not really. I said, so you're, you're training over this, this heart rate range or you're training over this um, uh, kilometers a minute. And he went, yeah. I said, did you ever do anything underneath it? No. And I went, okay, I need you to buy, again, I need you to buy in for 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. And he went, right, okay. So I, 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 I sold him on it, okay? Well, I thought I sold him on it, okay? Right. So he went away, and to be fair to him, for about seven or eight weeks, out of the 12, because he, he, he rescheduled the second test for me to make sure everything was good, he did it. He bought into it. And he actually said to me afterwards, he said, she's uh, Kiran, he said, uh, I was away on holidays and I was training. And he said, I was running the low intensity stuff like you told me to. And he said, my wife passed me. <laughs> I said, okay. And he went, I was going to go home and ring you. I was going to go back to the back to the house and the chalet and ring you. And I was like, why? He said, I thought you were having me on. He said, I actually thought you were spoofing me. And I said, okay, okay. He said, so, well, how did it go? And he went, I haven't been injured since you did it. To our point, that low intensity stuff, you can reproduce it all the time. Yeah. He goes, and he said, uh, I got a PB in the, the marathon. It's like, fantastic. And he only actually, he ended up, just because obviously training and everything, he, he trains at a club, so he sort of got the bit between his teeth again and started running that bit faster and, and doing his usual training. But he, he bought into it for seven or eight weeks. Now, he was, he was one person who was always training very hard and very quick. So his top-end stuff was brilliant. Like, he had, a, he had a high ceiling, but he just had no foundation underneath to support it. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I know that... God, I remember myself when I when we worked out my zones for the first ever time and I was thinking 140 beats right I do that going for a shite yeah you know yeah. it can actually really hurt the ego I think that's where most people get stuck it's very egotistical yes and I, I, I I've personally seen it and I see it in clients and you've probably seen it when you slow down and you actually stick to those low zones just forget about whatever pace you're running at it improves so much that, that pace, that heart rate over time, if you stick to those zones, it just, it's like a linear drop. Oh yeah, w- w- without a doubt. And I think another, another really important point is we're talking about individual sports, or at least when you race, mm-hmm. it's individual, okay? You're on your own. 
a lot of clubs, a lot of people go out for their Sunday runs, rides, whatever that looks like, and they're with a group of people. And the speed is dictated by the quickest person in that group. <laughs> now, sometimes people fall off or whatever, but they try and stick with that pace at that time. Everybody's individual. You must realise you have to train as an individual to be able to get um, to be able to get and support yourself when you're racing as an individual. You you can't you can't tag along with somebody else because they're they're more than likely completely different individual completely different capacities. Now, I I I like it to the fact of when I was training before um, I used to do a bit of rugby and we used to do off season or whatever. I found one person in 12 years, 12 summers, something, off-season of summer. I found one person who was a training partner who was the same as myself and we bounced off each other. But that, it's very rare. Mm. You have to realise that, yeah, you can have that community, you can have everything outside of it, but you need to be really selfish to some extent when you're training. You need to do what you need to do if you want to get better. Now, if you don't want to get better, that's no problem. <laughs> you know, uh, roll the dice. But yeah. it's, a, it's, it's an important point. And again, you, you said egotistical. And yes, it's egotistical to sort of slow down. I don't want to do this because I can do it faster. But it's also a bit of, you know, I understand the whole community-based thing. But if you want to get better, you have to train for your, within your own uh, parameters, not somebody else's. Personally, maybe it's because I'm an absolute lunatic, but I love the idea of not training with other people. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think actually quite a lot of the listeners would actually. <laughs> There's a lot of endurance athletes here, and you know, sometimes they're not the most social, but. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, and like that does happen as well, but even, even to those people, they're probably training at the wrong zones. Yeah. Um, and, and you were asking, I, I think one of the first questions you asked was the low hanging fruit or the top three or whatever. It's uh, what lacked to be able to guide his intensities. Mm. The one thing with heart rate and heart rate I always say rules everything and it does but it can it can slightly especially with elite athletes it can um, it is a bit of a there's a bit of a, a transition area because heart rate takes a while to pick up with the intensity that you're actually giving it so say if you're doing your your 400 meter repeats or whatever or whatever that looks like your heart rate will probably be beating faster 10, 15, 20 seconds after you're finished because it's trying to catch up with the intensity that you gave it. Yeah. So you don't hit that steady state, but your, your lactate, your body has to use um, fat or carbs as fuel. And when mm-hmm. it starts using carbs, which is when we're going at high intensities, like your 400 meters, um, it'll represent that in blood lactate. Interesting, interesting. And am I right in saying a lot of people demonize lactate? You can you can actually turn lactate back into an energy substrate. Is is it correct to say that when the accumulation of lactate gets so high, it creates an acidic environment in your your muscles and it somewhat compromises respiration? I, I have a very lay understanding of this. Yeah. So you um, lactate. Yes, it gets a bad rap, but just for an overall picture of blood lactate, blood lactate is created in the muscle. Mm-hmm it is metabolized in the muscle, mm-hmm. okay? It is the overflow of that that's in the blood. So when we talk about like, you know, two millimoles, three millimoles, four or five, that's, that's what we can only measure as humans unless I start stabbing somebody in the, in the muscle and taking out 
samples you know you're not going to figure out exactly it's, it the number is, is far higher because the muscle creates it but it also metabolizes it gotcha. um but yeah so when you start accumulating a lot of blood lactate and your muscle is after pushing it into the bloodstream it shuttles that blood around it shuttles that lactate blood lactate around into different parts of the body and it gets metabolized in other muscles it's been found to at least metabolize and and it would it would make sense especially with things like uh, your your near your your near infrared spectroscopy you can see that sort of occurring where that that's that tells you your blood sorry your, your muscle oxygen saturation mm. uh which is which is really interesting it's actually something it's a it's an avenue that we're looking at going down in the new year as well cool. so with sort of in, in a clinical setting when you get people in a instead of just doing vo2 we'd consult with them and we'd see where their rate limiting factors are and there's usually three in in the structure of a human so you have your cardiovascular um, you have which is your heart and, and your blood and then you have your your pulmonary or respiratory which is which are your lungs and then you have your metabolism which is what's happening at the muscle end mm. so you, you have a huge um, indication with vo2 of what's happening cardiovascular wise pulmonary wise and uh, then you, we can infer what's happening muscular wise but this nears infrared spectroscopy will um will I guess it does shine the light, but it will shine the light on it. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I have a real specific one for you. Cause this, this pops up sometimes when I have uh, REDS patients, people relative energy deficiency. It's malnutrition for athletes. Sometimes they, well not sometimes, often they have altered substrate utilization. So you know when you're doing a VO2 and you're also running the metabolic part where you can calculate how much carbs and how much fat they're burning per minute what is the plan of action for someone who really quickly switches to carbohydrates i.e they're they're not really able to spare their glycogen and burn fat at all how do you help someone like that yeah well look i guess when i see that i think of two things i think of overall fitness and health mm-hmm. um in in a i guess in, in my sense your structure your cardio wise your pulmonary wise your muscular wise and then i think of nutrition in your sense mm. um and, and and i see it as twofold um i guess that's why we've been working so long together in that respect as well but um so just just an example that rmr test we in the performance lab we usually do two main tests the vo2 what we discussed and then the rmr which is the resting metabolic rate Essentially, if you woke up in the morning, didn't move a muscle, how much energy and calories does it take for you to not gain any weight or not lose any weight? So what's your baseline, essentially, without moving in the day? Hmm. Um, and then, obviously, we can, we can say, look, if you want to lose weight, you do this. If you want to gain weight, you want to do this or maintain it. But often what happens is the air that we breathe in, when we create movement as humans, we breathe in air, it mixes with fat, mixes with our carbs or a bit of both, usually a bit of both. Hmm and it creates energy we're talking on this podcast um we're uh whatever we're breathing in and out all that type of stuff um it starts mixing with does a higher percentage of fat that it mixes with at low intensities mm-hmm. and then as the intensity increases 
we're start utilizing more carbs and there's a there's a transition there's a switch mm-hmm. there's a crossover essentially but when people come in for the or more it's a non-invasive test you you breathe you breathe in through a tube um for just a sort of a mask and you breathe in through that for 15 to 20 minutes but what it comes out is i understand between the oxygen that you breathe in and the carbon that you breathe out we can tell if you're burning more fat more carbs or what that ratio is mm. now when you're doing this test you're fasted mm-hmm. so you shouldn't have a huge amount of sort of free-flowing glucose in your blood anything like that so and because you're rested and you're not you're what i'm doing you're not having a treadmill you're just sitting down mm-hmm. it's all fat well a lot of it is fat excuse me a lot of it of the fuel that you should be using is fat if you're not using it and there's more of a more carbs you either didn't fast <laughs> okay but if i uh, sort of looked that person in the eye and i i'm fairly confident with you thousands of people i've done it <laughs> that they yeah. have fasted then there's sort of a, a a reds type of a thing going on there's they're f- in relation to fitness wise they're they're not at the races their food is is you know out of whack completely sure and, and i've seen that before like so you know you either haven't fasted or you're overweight obese or morbidly obese yeah as a generalization i guess yeah i i've seen uh, <clears throat> i've seen literature literature on it that if you it's the respiratory exchange ratio and quotient if you're flipping to carbs earlier it's actually considered to be indicative or partially reflective of uh, metabolic dysfunction, fatty liver, high blood sugar, dyslipidemia, and inability to use fuel appropriately. It all starts in your liver. That's kind of the central processing unit of fuel in general. And you'll see it with people who have metabolic syndrome, type 2 diabetes, or people who are well on the way towards that. And obviously, there are telltale signs that that's going to be the case for a patient. The sticky thing I've come across is with reds. People who have reds or they're they're under fuel for their training, so everything they're doing is technically overtraining and they're getting maladaptive responses. There's lots of research, and I've only kind of stumbled across this in recent months. If you have someone who's in an overtraining state, they have the blood glucose control of a type 2 diabetic. They get massive uh, dysglycemia the day after a tough workout. They get these elevated patches of insulin resistance and it's it's down to under fueling mm. and the inflammatory response that it forces really has a metabolic effect and i've had patients who i know you this person has reds and they go and do something like a test <clears throat> and it shows they're swapping over to carb metabolism asap normally the wisdom would be you need to get them to fat adapt a bit, do some faster training, but you can't do that with that patient mm-hmm. cohort. And th- I've actually been dying to ask you this question for a while. In a patient, a very big nerd, this, we were having a three hour conversation before we recorded this, <laughs> like this is what we do. A patient with reds whereby giving them low carbs is not an option because carbohydrate availability is how you treat reds effectively mm-hmm. plus calorie surplus how can you help them sort their shit out i suppose without taking their spuds away from them so i guess i've always been the 
the opinion of, you know, you test and you retest. So a test is a dot in time. That's mm -hmm. it. Okay. Yes, you can get information and you get the report. And I guess when I'm saying this, yes, it sounds businessy and it is good for business, but it's actually far better for the athlete. So you have one test, but I always ask people to book in for a minimum of two because you have an intervention in between, be it nutrition, yeah. be it programming. And you need to make sure after two tests, you see if the arrow's pointing in the right direction, i.e. is that intervention, has it worked? Mm -hmm. um, and then you've, you've dealt with the low hanging fruit. Then the third test, if people come back for the third test, and this might be throughout a season or um, you know, a, a, whole, a whole season or a whole 12 months, then the third test actually says, tells the story. It tells the story of, this is where they were. They worked at the low hanging fruit. Test two said, yeah, that worked, but this didn't. And now test three is saying, you know, we're refining this art and, and this person, like there's no low hanging fruit left. And, and this person is a, is a well-tuned machine. Mm. So um, I've always looked at it as in test, intervention, retest. Mm -hmm. And I have, I guess, you know, same with yourself, throughout the years you're looking at it going, it's holistically more than individually. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, again, like we probably, we probably saw that earlier than most when we, we, got, we were uh, working together over the past, a good few years ago. Um, but it's, it's not just about the individual, it's about the, the collective. Mm -hmm. And I would say nutrition, training, um, insights within to testing and everything like that. Mm. And to give people, I suppose, a sh very short answer, would it be right to assume if someone is switching over to carbs quickly, can that be partially indicative that they don't have that foundation of the easy work done? Oh, apologies, sorry, I, 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 I uh, segued there. Yes, um, so we need to train our body to be able to utilize fat at low intensities. And the best athletes, if we're looking again at athletes, the best athletes in the world, they utilize fat all the way up near on to their VO2 max. Mm. So I can tell you right now, I am, I use fat up till about four stages before I hit my VO2 max and I'm slaying demons for about four or five minutes. Okay? <laughs> but if you're looking at an elite athlete, they're, they're still using their fat stores, even though it's small, they're still using it. So they haven't gone into that complete anaerobic, um, anaerobic zone as such or intensity domain. Where, where you know, you're going to hit the you're going to hit the ground or you're going to hit the wall at some stage at least. Yeah. yeah. So um, so when we do the low intensity zone two out of the zone five say type of work, you're training your body to be able to utilize the fat, and that's why it's really important that it is low in the first place. Because if somebody goes, oh no, I'm going to do I'm going to do zone three, and I'm going to yeah. tick it tick tick the box as if it was zone two. Number one, you won't get the adaptations. But number two, you're going to come back and your really efficient fuel source, which is fat, still hasn't changed. And you're, you're utilizing a carb fuel source, which you only have about 700, 800 calories, depending on the size of the person. Mm. But your body will give you the finger before you even use those 800 anyway. Yeah, there's a threshold. Yeah, so there's a threshold, so it doesn't really matter. Like There's a tipping point there. Um, so what you want to do is you want to be able to use that infinite resource which is fat and use it as long as possible and you might hear people saying pushing the curve to the right and up yeah so that's in relation to uh 
that curve essentially is you want to push it to the right so you want to last longer on a vo2 test essentially so mm -hmm. you want to keep on going to the right and then you want to make it go up a bit further you want to be able to uh, have a do it at a higher intensity gotcha yeah and i, I just want to i suppose put some nutritional wisdom into this Brilliant. i am aware that the tendency for people who want to burn fast is to do faster training, skip carbs, seriously periodize their day. 100% that will turn the dial up on the response you get in terms of mitochondrial adaptive uh, responses, capillarization and all that. The degree of effect is not massive. Yeah, it's, it, it's quite negligible because fat is such an efficient fuel source. Yeah. And uh, I'll I, I just even... I already know the answer, but I just, for the people to hear a very brilliant sports physiology expert, sports scientist person, I don't really know what to call you, uh, for people to hear Kieran just even say this, you do not have to avoid carbohydrates to burn fat. You can eat carbohydrates and fuel in a workout, and as long as the intensity and the zones are met, it's not that eating carbs totally shuts down fat oxidation, right? 100%. Thank you. 100%. Okay. Yeah, it's, 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 it's real stigmatized in endurance. And like I, I briefly said, I, I, I played rugby for a number of years and that was more bigger is better. Mm. If you're not bigger, it's not good. You know, you're, you're, you, you, you need bigger is better. So we were always sort of, now look, it's in, in, in a, mindset point of view it's not healthy but it's also not healthy to avoid carbs either definitely not because they're a fuel source yeah yeah you will you will hit the wall faster if you don't have it and then if you're going anything beyond 40 to an hour 40 minutes to an hour you need to keep on topping that up mm -hmm. or else you will think you're in an anaerobic threshold even though you're at a low a low heart rate because you're, you're again your body's just after making you hit the walls after giving you the finger and you're you're about to pull out of a race 100 percent. And, and like for people maybe who've had a bad double marathon and think i just need to get fitter or better at burning fat or whatever the answer is you should probably get your zones checked train appropriately the answer is not to go on a ketogenic diet i mean like uh, have poached eggs before you go on your long run only like that's not what we're looking at here i wanted to ask right i've actually entered the lottery for a double marathon yes very good selfish well fuck it i don't know <laughs> someone coming from at the moment i actually cannot run for 25 minutes continuously yes and i'm hoping to be if i don't get into dublin i want to do a marathon at the end of 2024 what would you advise someone like me to do for the next 12 months? So just need to see where your baseline is. Okay. Where, where is your start? What do you look like in relation to how your body responds to different intensities? So uh, in an ideal world, would you get your jump up on the treadmill because your sport is that? Mm -hmm. Obviously, if you're entering some cycling race, we get you on the turbo. Um, we get you on, onto, the, uh, onto the treadmill and the VO2 max for anybody who doesn't know is it starts at really low intensities and we work you all the way up until maximum intensity. Mm -hmm. So we, you're going from zero to hero and it takes between 12 to 15 minutes usually. Um, 
we want to see what's going on underneath your hood, underneath your physiology, essentially. Um, and that's your starting point. Now, some people, and hey, most people who come to me and they might be in the middle of a training program, they think they're great. They still don't like the answer in relation to zones. But you just have to bite the bullet and then you have to train those zones. Mm. Now, polarized training is usually 80-20. Um, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But in relation to somebody who's starting off, I would say, yeah, polarized training is nice. Why? Because you have to build up the mileage in your legs because you're going to be running a marathon. Work backwards. Let's put on a strength and conditioning hat here for a moment, guys. We're going to work backwards for 12 months, okay? So we're going to go, right, I have 12 months to do this. I want to increase by 10% every three weeks and then I'll give myself an off, an off rest, a rest mm-hmm. week or whatever. I'll, I'll, top, I'll keep that intensity and then I'll go 10% again. That's really healthy. I found I found that to be really healthy in relation to people um, people training, uh, less risk of injury, but also coupled with the idea that you're going to do your 80-20 polarized training, 80% aerobic training, which is less than, you know, sort of out of a five-zone model, you're around the zone two, maybe just above the zone three. Um, that will keep you healthy, keep you being able to double over on your pro on your training keep you on the road so you can keep you can you can keep going because one of the most one of the and i've heard it before injury is massive guys hmm. it's huge okay so like if it's an injury through nutrition and you've seen people before evan or it's an injury be just because like overuse injury uh it's rarely acute you know hmm. it's, it's rarely there and then unless you're on a on a on a, a field sport where you're where you're sprinting sprinting you know and a sniper comes out and somebody's buckled, but like it's usually overuse where people are, I can't stop now, I have to keep on going, they're doubling up, they're doubling up. And a lot of that is wrong intensities, let's pull back, let's give ourselves a rest day. People trying to catch up on the training that they missed if they gave themselves a rest day. What's the point in resting if you're trying to catch up on something? Yeah. And, um, but the other thing there is they don't, people don't learn the lesson. They might learn the lesson from that one injury. I'll never do that again. And they don't. But they forget that, like, you know, these whole host of other injuries are sort of lurking behind them, waiting just to pop <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah. Um, so I guess to answer your question, what I do is I do a VO2 max test with you. I'd sit down like we do with all our clients. We'd have a chat. We'd look at your report, look at those zones specifically. So I always look at the, <laughs> those bots are inside in the, uh, in the report. They always pop out zones, but I put my eye on it anyway to make sure that I'm happy with what that says mm. sometimes you can see especially I usually find it more so with elite athletes that I will have to tinker with it ever so slightly um, and and use what the use the what the machine gives me and make the zones from there mm-hmm. um, so I, I, I never I never rely on the computer itself okay we'll sit down give you your zones and say right you're going to increase by 10% every three to four weeks okay and can i ask you to give me a watch recommendation i'm currently wearing a daniel wellington watch it's very nice <laughs> absolutely fucking useless for running a marathon what uh, what would work for accurately tracking heart rate yeah so heart rate you have your i, I have a polar like i said polar or garmin is perfect um and it's really handy because it gives a speed as well so when we're looking at training in zones, we're training heart rate wise, we're trying to follow a heart rate because you could have had a really couple of bad days with the kids or whatever, or just been up all night and all that type of stuff. Um, not that it happens, but you know. It does. <laughs> it does. 
Um, but you, you could have had that bad day and, uh, or maybe accumulated two or three and some, you go out and you're like, right, I want to do a zone four and that might be anything under 160, between 150 and 160, just for an arbitrary number. And you're actually, you're running at the pace that your zone is for 150 to 160, your aerobic pace or your anaerobic pace. Yeah. And uh, you're running at that pace, but your heart rate's gone up to 180. Why? Your because you're bet, you're stressed. Yeah. Stress is stress. You know, physical, mental, emotional, stress is stress. The body just sees the stress and the heart recognizes it, okay? And can I ask, it's been a while since I've needed a heart rate monitor. I see there's a tendency towards wrist straps. Yes. What is, is there a difference? Wrist, chest? Huge, yeah, there is a huge. Now look, I'm, I'm sure the technology, I guess I'm not trying to slate anybody here, but I, I'm sure the technology and as with technology will get better and better, mm. but a heart rate strap is, is of utmost importance. That's your preference. Yeah, you have like, oh, 15 maybe even 20 percent a few years ago you could have seen the difference between the optical sensors inside really? yeah well wow. yeah. okay um now they're often now people are going people might, people might comment in this or i might get some uh, some dms and raging but <laughs> yeah. like just to preface that when you're not moving or when you're inactive or at the office sitting down like we are the optical sensor is usually quite good there's a lower er error rate in it however when you start moving it goes haywire okay use the strap okay now there is a there is a um, uh, there's arm straps that are coming out and yes they are quite good as well but i'd always i'd always want something that's pretty much right beside my heart getting the the impulse off of it cool and sending that through into the watch so polar or garmin and i've had people who have polar or garmin watches and they come to me and they don't even have a heart strap. And the reason I'm saying that is, guys, the exact example that I gave, if you were only going off speed, you could be bet for whatever reason, because your body just sees stress as stress, yeah. the heart rate will guide you far better. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. There you go. <laughs> okay. I'm so old anyway, and I, I am actually going to book in and I think I might make a public experiment out of this. Yeah, great. I might fucking regret saying that. But, um, <laughs> we'll publicise everything. I know how to book in with you. Yes. How can someone who's listening is thinking, geez, I should do this. How can they find you and how can they book in for a test or two? Yeah, of course. So uh, what we'll do is leave the links in the show notes or just so people have clickable links or whatever. But uh, we're the Perform Lab on Instagram and then you have links to the website, the Performance Lab. Uh, dot com and then we also have our email but if you catch us on instagram just clickable links there and what we usually do is you just fill out a quick form and uh one of our team would usually get get on to you or myself and the reason that being is i want to see somebody's history mm. before i make sure what test i do so while we talked about the vo2 and the rmr today um, in relation to those tests. We also do running economy or the economy of movement. We also do blood lactate as well. So, um, you know, you've sort of four tests there that are really important. Somebody struggling with their weight would usually do or more, but if they want that performance, VO2 as well. And we can, we can see what best fits you, the athlete and the person. So we can, you can get your, your best bang for your buck in relation to going out and training and training efficiently and effectively. Unreal. Okay, Kieran. 
you're actually my first second guest appearance on the show. So congratulations, <laughs> I suppose. Thanks um, for having me, Chase. Yeah, no worries. Anytime. I'm sure there's going to be a requirement for another episode in a few months. Maybe we'll actually catch up on how I'm getting on yes. in a few months. Maybe we'll make a guinea pig kind of scenario out of this. But for now, thank you for your time. So guys, that was episode number two with Kieran Burke, and it was also episode number two of season three. There was a little bit of a lag between the first episode and second episode of this season, which, you know, sorry for the people who are trying to be fans of the podcast, I'm not making it easy. But for all of the, you know, the listeners to my last episode, I got really, really massive feedback from the the ADHD podcast, and um, I'm going to talk a lot more about those topics I'm obviously, of course, going to do the sports science, the sports integration, the niche episodes, and I have a couple of interesting interviews lined up. Just got to organize them. Um, but for today, for this uh, this episode, I hope you enjoyed listening to Kieran. Kieran and I are very good pals. We work together an awful lot. We're currently the sports science support team, if you will, for the Waterford Ladies Gaelic football team, and I think we're a pretty good duo. In the new year, we are looking at some form of a weight management program, which will entail an RMR test and a nutrition consultation. We're not really big into New Year's fads, but we understand that a lot of people do want to make a bit of a burst on weight loss in the new year. So if you want to do it right, minimize the guesswork, take away the margins of error. This is something that you might consider looking into. We will have only very limited availability for this. So if you're interested, please drop me a line. If you're also interested in any of the sports science services Kieran offers, he does workshops, he does one-to-ones, he has a very cool lab in Clonmel, County Tipperary. You can reach out to him, I put all of his contact details in the show notes. And once again, I would just like to thank Somiga Nutrition for sponsoring today's podcast. They are our newest official podcast sponsor, so that's, uh, that's really exciting as well. Okay, guys, until the next time.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 